Um, it's great to be here this morning. I'm really glad to be here with you. Really looking forward to the opportunity to um, explore God's Word with you, go through a really exciting journey for the next 30 to 40 minutes. Um, just want to start by thanking the guy who's run off. <laughs> just want to thank Steve for uh, inviting us along this morning. It's my wife, Christy. Um, some of you would have met beforehand. We've, we've known Steve and Jenny probably four or five years now, I think. Um, we first got to know them at City Church in Canterbury, where we were just joining, probably about 18 months before they, they came over to join you here. So we didn't know them for a, a huge amount of time while they were there, but in the time that we did, we just, we just got to see this passion that they had for the guys that they were leading, for the guys that they were investing in. And I think it's something that's really rubbed off on us and, and just had a, had a real impact on me. And I just trust that it's, it's the same for you guys here, that they've been just as much of a blessing to you guys here. Um, if you've got a Bible, can you just open up to Hebrews 11? While we're doing that, I'll just tell you a bit about us. We're, we're originally from Zimbabwe. My wife and I um, both grew up there. We, we got married over there. We had the privilege of serving in some really amazing churches while we were over there, some, some really exciting leaders, some, some real generals in God's army. And I think as a result of that, we, we had the real privilege of seeing God move in miraculous and exciting ways from, from quite an early age. But I think the thing which really excites me about that is the fact that we're not looking to Southern Africa, or we're not looking to Asia, or we're not looking to South America for God to move in that way anymore. Increasingly, we're starting to see God move in the miraculous here in the UK. I think it's a really exciting time for us as a group of churches, particularly in the UK, um, and specifically in East Kent, we just, we just increasingly seem to be living under this weight of prophetic expectation as God makes these promises over us as a group of churches. And I think it's a really exciting time, and it ties in really well with uh, what I feel God's put on my heart this morning as I was preparing. I, I felt him start to bring out two or three things that I think he, he really wants to speak to us about as a church, specifically this morning, that he's got something for us specifically here. I just want to encourage you that not to go home in an hour's time from now and have found that you've got some of what God's got for you, but really just to, to push into God this morning and make sure that together as we go through this journey, we just really lay hold on everything he's actually got for us today. So can we just start by praying? Oh, Father, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We just thank you for the truth that's in the word. And we just want to thank you, Lord, that you speak to your people, Father. And we just want to ask that you'd speak to us this morning that you just give me grace to be faithful to the things that you've laid on my heart, Father, and you just give us open, open hearts and open ears to hear what it is that you've got for us this morning. Amen. I'm just going to ask Chris to come up and read, thanks, uh, read the passage. We're going to be working from Hebrews 11. Um, I'm just going to, yep. Hello? Is on? Is on? Yes. Okay, sorry. Okay, so it's uh, Hebrews 11, verse 8 to 16. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. Mm. And so from this one man, and as 
And he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Brilliant. Thank you. Right, what a fantastic passage. And I think, if I'm honest, you could probably take an entire preaching series out of that. So we're not going to try and cover the whole thing today. We're going to focus mostly on some of the, the first verses there and then probably take some of the flavor of the later verses and just put it into context. I think uh, David's picking up next week on the later verses. Brilliant. Okay, so I think one of the key things, when you, when you want to understand a passage of Scripture, when you want to know what it's actually saying to you, that you need to understand the context in which that passage was actually written and who it was spoken to, why it was written, when it was written. And I think that's where I started my preparation for this morning. I, I went back and I looked at some of the earlier passages in Hebrews. And as I was reading through chapter 10 leading into chapter 11, it really transformed my understanding of the passage. I began to see chapter 11 in a, a whole new way, something that I actually hadn't seen before. So... Let's just have a quick look at um, some of the verses in chapter 10. Give us a, a context for what we're, we're looking at. Now, verse 32, the writer, we, we actually don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, um, but we know it was written to a Hebrew church, as the name would suggest. So it's a church who, who knew the Old Testament pretty well. Um, verse 32 encourages them for the way that they stood strong in a really great battle early on for the, for the faith that they had. Um, I think the ESV talks about the, the truth that had been revealed to them. So they'd seen this truth and they'd stood strong for it in a, in a time of really difficult challenge against them. But now, as you read the rest of the passage, you, you get this idea that they're just in danger of stepping back from that a bit. I think in um, 20, verse 25 the writer warns them about not giving up meeting together. So classic thing that we still face in church today, guys just not coming along to church, okay? not getting along to cell, getting isolated. Okay, in verse uh, 35, the writer warns them about not giving up the confidence in the faith that they have, not throwing their confidence away. In fact, he even warns them about uh, not offending God, not offending the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's a fairly significant challenge that the church is facing now. Um, and the writer's writing to them, trying to encourage them to stand strong, to, to get back into the race, not to allow themselves to get knocked out of the race. And he finishes in verse 39 where he says, um, he gives this rally call. He says that we are not of those who shrink back and get destroyed, but of those who hold on to our faith to salvation, have faith to salvation. Okay, so he finishes off with this rally call. And this is where my, my interpretation changed. This is where I saw something new because when the theologians and the, the writers restructured the Bible in a way that was easy for us to understand, translated it, they put in these chapter headings and chapter numbers. So in your Bible, you'll probably see it goes to chapter 10 and you'll have a heading that says something like, by faith, okay. which when I read it before, I would start there and work forward as if it was a new conversation completely. And it isn't. What he's actually doing is he, he's taken this challenge to faith, 
that he's just given the church beforehand. And he's building on it. He's trying to build their faith through this. So he starts off just by explaining what faith is, quite logically. And then, like any good church leader, he, he looks for an example of people who are going to stir them, people that they're going to understand, they're going to know the lives of. And being a Hebrew church, he goes back to the Old Testament, quite logically. He goes to Genesis, and he starts at the beginning. So he picks out the life of Abel and his faith, and then he picks out Enoch in his journey. He picks out Noah and the flood. And then he suddenly he gets to Abraham, and the whole, the whole tone of the book changes. He's, he's given one verse, maybe two verses to the guys up until this point. And then he hits Abraham and he, he suddenly sees something that he hasn't seen in the other guys. And he spends pretty much the rest of chapter 11 talking about either Abraham or Abraham's family or what Abraham did or Abraham's descendants. Okay. The question we need to ask when we see that is, what is it about the life of Abraham that we need to understand? So... The first thing that we need to do is we need to understand Abraham. If we go back to Genesis 12, we first meet Abraham. God amazingly comes into him, um, comes in and speaks to him, and he, he makes this promise over Abraham that's probably almost unlike anything that's been in the Bible up until this point. We don't know much about Abraham, but what we see is God coming in, and he says, I'm going to make you into a nation. This is significant for a guy who at 75 actually doesn't have kids yet. Okay? He says, I'm going to make you into a nation. Okay? More than that, he says, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. Okay? In fact, he even says that if anyone blesses you, I will bless them. And if anyone curses you, I will curse them. Okay? So he's got Abraham. He's, he's got this amazing promise over his life. I think the word inheritance is significant. Um, if you, you look at what an inheritance is, it's specifically something that actually can't be passed on until someone has died. Okay? It's not something that um, is just passed on at any stage. It's passed on when someone dies. Equally, an inheritance isn't something that you can earn. Okay? So nobody earns their own inheritance. Okay? An inheritance is something that somebody else, by definition, earns and then passes on to you. Now, on a slightly lighter note, I don't know um, if you guys do this in your Sunday school here, but when I was younger, my folks were um, semi-Anglican. We were the sort of Easter Sunday and then Christmas Day type Christians. So we'd go along and then fairly traditional church. So we'd, we'd sing a couple of hymns that actually had words that were far too long for a seven or eight-year-old and I didn't understand a word of what was being said. Then, after that, excitingly, we would sit down and somebody else would come to the front and use even longer words, which I knew less about. Okay. So when the opportunity comes to, to actually get out and go to Sunday school, I'm quite excited. It's great to be with kids my own age. It gets worse, to be honest. <laughs> we go into Sunday school and we end up singing this song. It's something, Father Abraham has many sons, and arms start going up and down, and you start hopping around. And it all just gets completely out of hand. And what makes it worse is that we start singing about Abraham as my father, when blatantly my father has sat 100 meters across in the main room. Okay, these Christians were crazy. They didn't know what they were talking about. But a few years later, and possibly a little bit more experience, I understand that actually what it's talking about is that what it says in Galatians 3.8, where the promise is that for anyone who is in Christ, we now become joint heirs with Abraham in those promises that were made to him. So what's said in Genesis 12 isn't just for Abraham, 
for his direct descendants. It's for the entire family that come into Christ, those who receive the inheritance through Christ. That's great in itself, but we need to ask ourselves two questions off the back of that. Do we meet the criteria for having received an inheritance? Okay, so the first question we need to ask is, has someone died that we can pass it on to us? Okay, and in two senses, the answer to that is yes. Obviously, Christ dies on the cross. Secondly, we know from Romans 6.23 that the, the wages of sin in our life are actually death. Okay, so we know that we are dying or we have died to ourselves. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Okay, so we have died to self and we now have a new life in Christ. Equally, we need to know that someone else has earned the inheritance because we can't earn our own inheritance. Again, we look to Christ. Okay? Christ earns our inheritance on the cross. He, he takes our sin and pays for it. So we have earned our inheritance. He has earned our inheritance for us. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you can be confident in that. That's great news. Because okay? we know that Christ has, has met our inheritance and we have died. So we're in the place to receive that inheritance. For some of us here this morning, possibly we're not in that place, actually. We can't say hand on heart that we have a huge amount of confidence that those promises made to Abraham actually for us this morning. If that's you, I'd love, I'd love to speak with you afterwards. I'm not going to ask you to do anything now, but I'd love to talk to you about it afterwards. It's a promise that's available for us. It's not an exclusive club. Okay? It's a promise that's available to anybody. I think there's a second aspect that we just need to understand about the inheritance, um, particularly for us as Christians, is that it's not just a one-stop event. We don't just receive our inheritance, walk out the door, thanks very much. There's an ongoing nature to our inheritance. So there's some things that we receive at the point where we receive salvation, we receive forgiveness of sins, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we receive... um, the authority to come into God's presence. Fantastic things. But Paul says really clearly that now we see in part, but then we're going to see in full. So we don't have the full picture yet. We know from Scripture that actually Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, for those who are in him, for those who are the joint heirs, that actually there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So as much as we're excited about what we've received, as Christians we're constantly living under this, this promise, this inheritance that we have over our lives. And I guess that's the challenge for us this morning. I just want to suggest to you that actually, as important as the gospel is, and there probably isn't anything more important to talk about, that that's not the main thrust of what the the writer's talking about in this passage. If we just take a second to remember the context, he's writing to a church who have received this, this promise, but now they're in danger of stepping back from it. Okay, So they've received that inheritance in part, but they're now losing focus on the promise over their lives. So the challenge for us is, what is it about the life of Abraham that so caught the writer's imagination about living under those promises, about speaking to a church who had promises over them, but were losing focus on those promises? And as I was, as I was looking at Abraham, I just really felt God underlined three amazing characteristics about this man that actually speak to us as a church today, things that will challenge us, things that are relevant to us. And can I see if I can work this? Hey! Yeah. <laughs> I'm great with technology. 
Um, there's three characteristics of Abraham that we need to understand. First of all, that Abraham was a man who kept listening. And secondly, that Abraham was a man who kept looking ahead. And that thirdly, Abraham was a man who kept a light grip on everything that he had around him. So he's a man who keeps listening, he's a man who keeps looking ahead, and he's a man who keeps a light grip. And those are the three points that we're going to look at this morning. So first of all, I just want to talk about Abraham as a man who, who keeps listening. We've, we can easily take him um, in the context that he is in Genesis 12, but I just want to bring him back to the UK, to be honest, as we, we have a look at him. I want, to, I want to take him to Hearn Bay today. So Abraham and Sarah are your fairly well-established, slightly more mature couple in church. They're the guys with the four-bed, semi-detached house in the nice end of Hearn Bay. And Steve promises me that there is a nice end in Hearn Bay. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, they're the guys probably with two cars outside in the driveway, so there's no four-ridge. Um, what's Abraham going to be driving? He's, we'll say a Skoda, a Vauxhall. Um, and we've got the Mini for Sarah, because she's a Mini kind of lady. Um, and now that Abraham's retired, he's got a bit more time to do the garden, so actually the lawn's pretty well kept, and the hedge is trimmed. He's got one of these fancy B&Q strimmers that you go along with. Okay, so it's a pretty nice place. and uh, You've got Abraham's family living quite close by, so you've got his young nephew Lot that's living a, a couple of streets over. In fact, probably the entire family lives within about a four-block radius, and they have done ever since anyone can remember. There's no reason for Abraham to move anywhere. Everything and everyone that he needs is in close proximity to him. Okay. Take that back to Genesis 12, and Abraham's actually in a really similar situation. He's living in a place called the Ur of the Chaldeans, which we think was fairly comfortable. Okay. He's fairly well respected in the community. He's um, got status, he's got servants, he's got property. Okay. And we know that Lot is living nearby, um, so the family's probably all close by. Again, I've never actually asked anyone to go out and plant a church in Southeast Asia, but if you're going to speak to a couple, this probably isn't the couple that you're going to approach first in church. They're the guys that are fairly well settled and established, and you might ask them to move down the road, but not Southeast Asia. And yet, it's amazing that Abraham actually, uh, sorry, that God actually chooses Abraham and Sarah in this situation to make this mind-blowing promise of an inheritance over their life, and equally at the same time ask them to follow him out into not knowing where they're going. He didn't even tell them where they're going. He just said, follow me, take a tent, and follow me. That's an incredible act of faith. I guess the question that we want to ask ourselves off the back of this is, and I don't want you to answer it to anyone else. Probably just be honest with yourself in your heart so that you don't feel the necessity to stretch the truth. But at what point um, do we filter out what God's calling us to do? At what point is the cost too high when God starts speaking to us? Now, I know in my own life, um, there's been plenty of examples of this. Um, should we just say, I know that God has good plans for me. I know that he wants the best for me. And I know that he knows that Christy and I have been working for three years solid, say. Um, and we need that holiday. He's not going to ask me to give up that £1,000 that we've squirreled away for the holiday and put that into the church building fund. He's not going to do that because he knows the desire I have. 
that's how we start rationalizing. We start taking what God would say. And I, I don't want to knock holidays. They're great. Okay, it's an example. But that's how we start rationalizing when God speaks into our lives. I'm sure, well, I hope all of us can identify with that to some degree because if you can't, I just I want to respectfully suggest to you that actually you're not listening hard enough to God. If he's never challenged you to do anything that's outside your comfort zone and you didn't want to say no to, then you're not really listening to him. Something else that's really common in churches is if you've been a Christian for any length of time, and I'm sure that most of us have been, then at some point you are going to have got knocked back by other people or situations. Okay, I'll give you a personal example from my life. I was probably 14, maybe 15. I was a young Christian, first real church involvement. I was excited about church. I was passionate about it. And we, we had this fantastic leader who, who was leading the church. He was a guy that I respect hugely and still do. And the sort of question, if he had asked me to walk on water, my question wouldn't have been, how do I do that? It's how far do you want me to walk? He's got would have followed anywhere. And so we, we used to have a prayer meeting beforehand. It was a prayer meeting called Live at Five, catchy name. And there would be the team from the prayer meeting would, uh, from the service would get together and pray about the service. And I remember getting in there really excited and starting to pray my best teenage fervent prayer that I could muster. Okay. I really wanted to impress this guy. Two sentences in, and I'm not joking about this or exaggerating, the guy actually stops me in front of everybody who's there, and he took my prayer as an example of how not to pray in his meetings before a church service. (laughs) Needless to say, my somewhat insecure teenage confidence was shattered. It was years before I was... I was able to stand up again in a public setting and bring anything, even though I felt that God had given me some level of prophetic gifting at that stage. And I'm sure that... The, uh, by the way, we, we're great mates now, and he's a fantastic guy, and we've sorted that out. So. But I'm sure people in this room can identify with that, and many of you will probably actually have scenarios that are worse than that, that hit you harder than that. And so it's with a great amount of humility, but I want to say to you that our past hurt isn't a reason for us to stop listening to God. The fact that we've been hurt in the past doesn't make God's word to us today any less valid, any less true, or any less for our own good. As I was preparing, I really felt God lay on my heart that there's there's people in that situation here this morning that maybe you've just been knocked off track a bit because of hurt that's been there in the past. And if that's you, I would love to pray with you afterwards. I'd love to to just pray with you because I just really have the sense that actually God wants to break some chains on this. You know, he, he doesn't want a church that had tied down by previous hurt. It was for freedom that we were set free, and that's his heart for us. So we'll have some time afterwards. Okay, so we know that Abraham's a man who, who keeps listening. We know that Abraham's a man who keeps looking ahead. If you look at Abraham's journey, he's a man who had plenty of opportunity to get discouraged, um, to get knocked off course along the way. He, he takes his young nephew, Lot. Okay, they go together through Egypt, and they spend years together traveling through the wilderness. So they become close. And in fact, they grow quite wealthy as well on the trip. And we know that 
Abraham's uh, servants and Lot's servants actually start to clash a bit along the way. So they agree that actually at some stage they're going to go separate ways for a while and see how it goes. Uh, and Abraham, being, being a senior figure, says to Lot, okay, mate, you choose the, the land that you want to take first and I'll take the rest of it. Okay. Now, hopefully, if that was one of us here today, we probably would have gone, well, I'll take some of the good and I'll take some bad and we can share it out. That's great. Lot, possibly a bit young, a bit immature, doesn't do that. He says, Valley of the Jordan, that's green, that's got a happening nightlife. I'm taking that. And he says, I'm going to take the best land, all of it. And Abraham's left standing there. He's looking up at this dry desert plateau with God saying, that's what I'm going to give you. So there's plenty of opportunity for him to get discouraged here. Equally, Abraham, as we know, is living with this promise over his life. He's, him and Sarah have got this desire for a family. And in fact, God's promised it over him. He's promised to make him a nation. You don't do that without kids. Okay? 25 years. That's how long Abraham was living with that promise. How long he was walking around waiting for Isaac to come along. 25 years. Again, plenty of opportunity for him to stop looking ahead, start looking around and think he's made a mistake. There's a, a great missionary that some of you probably will have heard of before, a man called Hudson Taylor. He founded the China Inland Mission Service um, and the, the mission service was um, credited with leading probably 10,000 indigenous Chinese people to the Lord at a time when there was virtually nothing going on in China. Okay, it's a huge, huge work of God. I'm guessing less people will have heard of a man called Robert Morrison. Morrison was the first Protestant missionary in mainland China. Morrison knew the clear call of God in his life to go to China. He followed him. He went in there. And it wasn't for seven years that he led his first person to the Lord, that he baptized his first believer. Seven years away from family comforts and everything. In fact, after 27 years, Morrison had led 10 people to the Lord. 10 people in 27 years. Now, if that was me, I would have had plenty of opportunity to, to stop where I was and to look at the fruit and being quite spiritual and said, what's the fruit in this, God? Well, there clearly isn't any. I've been here six and a half years and nothing has happened. I must have misheard. I'm getting back on that boat and I'm going to England. Neither Hudson nor Morrison were people like that. They were people who had a clear promise and they were looking ahead because as soon as you stop looking ahead and you start looking around, you're going to get discouraged. There's going to be circumstances that's going to discourage you. Abraham was a man like that. Abraham was a man who kept looking forward at the promise ahead of him. What Morrison didn't know was that his work in translating the Bible actually led to the work of Hudson Taylor. Okay, the fact that the Bible was translated into Chinese was this massive foundation pillar in the work that was to come. In fact, by 1949, we believed that there were 100 million Chinese people who had come to know the Lord. 100 million working from the basis of one person after seven years or 10 after 27. That's what happens when we follow a vision. When, like Abraham, we don't look what's behind us and what we've left behind, but what's ahead of us and what we're going towards. Okay, so we know that Abraham now is a man who's kept listening and he's a man who keeps looking ahead. Thirdly, we know that Abraham's a man who's kept a light grip. We've already talked about his situation and 
heart's amazing that he follows God. And I just want to tell you a story about a guy called Scott Marks. Um, if any of you have been to um, the leadership conference in Brighton, you've probably heard a couple of nodding there. That's fantastic. He's a great guy and he's a great friend of mine. And Scott um, is a guy that I've known probably since I first became a Christian. When I first met him, he was just starting out his first church plant with a guy called PJ Smythe, who many of you all know. They had 60 people along on their first night, okay, which is fairly significant for a church plant for a couple of 20-somethings. Okay? Within months, the church had grown to over 500, and they were looking for new venues. Within a few years, they're planting new churches around Harare. Shortly after that, they're planting nationally. We know uh, Scott gets involved in um, additional work, something called Farming God's Way that uh, some of you might have heard about. It's transforming the way that agriculture is done in nations at a national level because of what God tells us about farming. These are nationally significant things. So Scott is a guy who's clearly an influential church leader. More than that, he's, he's a bit like this Daniel figure. He's, he's got everything, so he's good at business as well. Okay. Scott takes over the family ball-bearing business. That's great. Nice little factory out in the industrial areas in Harare. And pretty much as soon as he takes it over, the country plunges into the worst economic situation we've ever known. And I, I heard a lady praying this morning about the people in Pakistan. And as I was praying for this, I was trying to think of a way to explain the economic situation that these guys were facing. And if you've only ever lived in the UK or you've only ever lived in Kent, I honestly believe that I can't explain it to you. I can't tell you anything that would actually let it settle in your heart, the challenge that you would face doing business in that situation. So as an example, you would get paid probably about lunchtime on a Friday and everyone would go out to the shops immediately because if you waited until 5 o'clock that afternoon, not only would your money be worth literally half as much as it was when you got paid, but equally, there'd be nothing left on the shelves. It's an incredible situation. Now, not only does Scott keep the business alive in this situation, but he actually grows it. He's the man who's clearly got God's favor in this situation on his life. As well, he's, he's the guy that got the fantastic wife. He's married to a lady called Claire, um, great woman of God. They've got two great kids, Steve um, and Kimberly. I nearly forgot her name. Steve and Kimberly, they've got this amazing house. It's a four or five bedrooms, at least five bedrooms, I think. And they've got their own swimming pool. They've got a thatched gazebo to go with the swimming pool. They've got a two to three acre garden, which is perfectly kept. Okay, it's the dream house that you see on a Sky Holidays channel or something. Okay, it really is that amazing. Now, anybody would forgive Scott for, for being in that situation and saying, Actually, God's hand is clearly on my life here. This is going well, and I'm going to follow him in this, what he's got me into now. The reality is that actually one day God speaks to Scott about a place called Nampula. And I'm just going to show you a couple of pictures about Nampula, if I can get there. Ooh, am I going the wrong way? There we go. Okay, so Nampula is the opposite of everything I've just talked about. Nampula is 20 hours drive away, potentially across three border posts. Okay? It's in the middle of Mozambique, which is one of the poorest countries in the world. 
Okay. Scott is taking his family with two young kids to a place where there is no mains water, where there is no mains electricity, and it wouldn't matter if there was because they actually don't have a house yet. They're living in a tent. Okay. His two young kids are daily cutting the grass around the tent while they're building their own house. Okay. And they're coming across snakes that are lethal, okay, that would kill them if they bit them. That's an incredible scenario. It's an incredible scenario to follow the call of God when you hear that, okay? when you know that that's what you're going to. And I don't want to suggest in any way that it would be an easy decision for Scott and Claire, because I know it wasn't. But what made them do it, or what them allowed them to do, was the fact that they knew they only had stewardship over the things that God had let them into now. So what they were doing in church, that was God's work and God's grace in their life. What they were doing with business, that was God's grace and God's work in their life. Okay? It wasn't just down to them. And they knew that God was faithful to lead them. Like Abraham, they knew that if God said, follow me with a tent into the middle of Nampula, that was okay, that was God's will. Okay. I think Scott, probably more than anybody I've ever met, would understand what Paul was saying um, in Philippians 3 verse 8. He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Now we're going we're gonna to draw into a conclusion here this morning. And can I just ask if Steve would come up? As we're closing out, we're just going to have a brief opportunity just to, to pray together. Um, and I just want to exhort you that this morning, if you're the person who's listening or struggling to listen, are you going to let God talk to you on his terms? Are you going to keep dictating what God can say to you, what the God of the universe can say into your life? If you're the person who's struggling to look ahead, okay, are you going to keep letting circumstance govern the direction of your life, or are you going to trust God when he calls you out? Are you going to keep your eyes on the promise that is over your life? Thirdly, if you're holding on to the things around you. You've worked your entire life and you've now got to retirement age and you've earned what you've got. Respectfully, God has earned what you've got. Don't hold on to those things. Don't hold on to what you can't keep and lose what you cannot lose. Now, hopefully there's a few of us here this morning that are either waiting for God to, to revive something in our lives. He's spoken over us previously. And we know that it's been promises over us. But somehow we've, like the church in Hebrews, we've just lost focus on those promises a bit. And if that's you, that's great. Equally, I'm trusting that there's people here this morning that are waiting for God to speak to them for the first time. They're, they're looking for God to say, take your tent and follow me. Where do you want me to go, God? And possibly there's even people in here this morning who, who are saying, I don't know that Abraham's promises, the promises made to Abraham, are for me in my life yet. And if that's you, that's fantastic as well, because the promise of God is that those are for you, if you'll accept them. And if you're in any one of those three, as we, as we just close and pray now, and as we sing one last song, I just want to encourage you to, to show God that you're serious. Maybe just lift your hands or bow your head. Just give him a sign that actually this is your heart and you want him to speak into that and Chris and I or possibly one of the other guys would, would love to pray with you afterwards just chat with you
Okay, shall we just pray? Father, we thank you that you are sovereign, Lord. And we thank you that you are graceful, Lord, that you have made incredible promises over each one of our lives, more than we will ever understand. And I just want to pray today, Father, that you would start to release promises that have been bound down for a long time, that you would start to bring new promises into our lives, that you would start to set promises over us as a church and the destiny that we're following, that we have in you, Father. We praise your name, Lord. Amen. Is it good? Yeah. Two.